Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and as a family, we seek to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our community. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's reading is Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Uh, Let me just welcome you all again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. Uh, As Bruce said, my name is Eric Lipscomb, and I serve uh, as a campus minister for RUF at Columbia University. RUF is Redeemer's college ministry affiliate here in uh, in the city. Um, Our pastor, Michael Keller, is a former uh, RUF campus minister. Um, And I just want to extend, to start, a special welcome to any uh, college students or university students who are, if you're here in person, if you happen to be uh, streaming in live. Um, we're really grateful to have you all as, as the school year kicks back off. And if, if we can serve you uh, in any ways, please let me know. Come uh, introduce yourself after the service. Um, come say hi. Send me an email, uh, whatever the case may be. We have a couple uh, of my counterparts who are all over the city. And so if we can be of encouragement or help to you, please let me know how we can do that. Uh, now this morning we are finishing our Summer Psalms series. We are looking together at perhaps the most famous psalm, Uh, Psalm 23, and what I want to just invite you to do today is to sit in uh, and to sit with this psalm, right? The scene that David is going to paint for us. Don't think of this as sort of data download time. Um, Think of this maybe more uh, like an immersive art experience. I don't know if you've, maybe you've seen ads or maybe some of you have been to the uh, the Van Gogh exhibit, uh, I think it's downtown right now. Uh, you're, you're, you know, if you go to the MoMA, right, you can look at Starry Night, and it's beautiful and it's awesome. Uh, but if you go to this immersive art exhibit, you are in, immersed in Starry Night and other Van Gogh pieces. And so I want to invite you to come and to experience the care and provision of God here in Psalm 23 this morning. And, and if you're here and you're a Christian, uh, it's my hope that you will give fresh eyes, give fresh ears to this familiar text, so that by God's Spirit, you might experience a new uh, refreshment from God and from His Word. And of course, if you're here and you're not a Christian, we're so glad you're with us. And what I want to invite you to do is to attend to these images, to attend to the words here, so that you might get a deeper sense of God's character and maybe figure out what it might mean to be known by this God and to know this God that we talk about. So we're going to look at this in just a moment, but before we jump in, um, what are the Psalms? What are, what are the Psalms and why do we have them? Uh, the biblical book of Psalms that we have, some of you I'm sure know, are a collection of 150 songs and poems, and these are the, were given to the ancient Israelites as their hymn book. Right? These were the songs that they sang in worship, and they were the songs that have shaped them, shaped us as the people of God throughout 
our history. And if you've read through the Psalms, one of the things you notice almost immediately is that they give a full range of emotion. That you, you sort of get to see and experience all of life's experiences and, and all of our emotions. Right? Delight and joy, but there's also lament and fear and anxiety and pain. And as we sing these songs, I think what is beautiful is something happens, or at least two things happen. The first is that we are given words we need to express ourselves. Right? Words that we can take on our lips and give back to God to say, here's how I'm really doing. Here's how I'm really feeling in this moment. You don't have to dress up and play nice to come to God. He gives you the words to express your emotions so that you can bring your full, honest self authentically before God. So he gives you the words to express yourself. But not just that, he, we, we also have these words uh, not just to express, but to shape our desires. Right? That as we sing these, as we own these truths, they orient us or reorient us back towards God. And so these psalms, we can express ourselves, but we also, they also shape us more and more into the people who God wants us and intends us to be. And so what Psalm 23 is, is a song of confidence. It's a song of confidence in God, of his care and his guidance and ultimately his triumph. And what this meant to do for us is to enable us to deepen our confidence in this Lord through any and all of life's circumstances. And, and I think the reason we need this, um, in particular, at least at this moment, is because as I, as I look at the calendar, uh, I notice that uh, we are shifting over into the fall season, right? Labor Day is tomorrow. This is Labor Day weekend. And if you know anything about life here in New York City, um, as the fall starts up, we just sort of re-enter the grind. Uh, maybe some of you felt like you never left the grind, but, but certainly in the fall, the, the, the temperature, the pace, it picks up, right? Kids go back to school. Um, maybe some of you are going back to work in person, right? Just things just get going here. And, and so we, we need a word that is going to calm us and give us refreshment in the midst of this, right? What is going to enable you to endure the grind, to endure the to-do list that never seems to get any shorter, Right, to, to sit with the frustration of fractured relationships with someone you deeply care about. Right, working long hours or maybe, maybe not having enough work, maybe being underemployed or unemployed in this season. What are you going to do with the weight of the grind right now? And, and I was thinking about this just for myself and, and just for reflecting on how I operate. Um, I find myself trying to just you know, sort of buck myself up, say, I got this, I can do this, I can handle this. Right? It's, it's an assertion of self-confidence. I'll just do it. I'll lace up my Nikes and go. Right? I'm going to pick up and push myself through. Right? Or maybe you're, you're not feeling confident, you're not feeling self-confident, and so you're, you're just resigned to the grind. Right? All you can do is just sit under the weight of this. Right? Such is life, here I am. You look for maybe some way to give yourself a brief booster, a weekend away, a night out on the town or something like that. Right? How are you trying to endure the grind that we're in or that we're about to experience? Right? The Christian has another tool. The Christian, we are given this song to sing and these truths to own together. Right? It's not a song of self-confidence. It is not a song of resignation or temporary relief, but rather a song of confidence in the God who gives rest to his people. Right, we sing confidently of the God who even in the grind of life, right, even in the darkest valley, even in the shadow of a pandemic, 
even in global unrest, still guides and comforts and protects us. And so I think Psalm 23 can help us endure this grind by uh, enabling us to grow our confidence in the Lord. If you will immerse yourself in this personally, then I think you might just experience God's faithfulness in a new way. Right? God wants to put on display this immersive art of God's beautiful character. Right? He's not just simply describing David with words. Um, he's going to give us here this dual panel painting. Right? He's going he's to show off for us God's generosity and his goodness and his nearness. And he couples these two metaphors together in our passage, as you heard from Tiffany. Uh, the Lord as the good shepherd in verses 1 through 4, and then the Lord as our generous host uh, in verses six, or so 5 and 6. And so these two pictures are going to just briefly frame our discussion this morning. Here's what I want to look at, two things. Um, why does it matter that God is our good shepherd? Uh, and then second, how does this generous host give us hope? Okay, so first thing, why does it matter that God is our good shepherd here? Uh, and, and frankly, I think this matters because, you know, when you read that, at least I hear that, and like my life looks nothing like the scene of Psalm 1, or Psalm 23, excuse me. Right, reading those verses, right, just even to start, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Right, and I was thinking about this and just thinking about, you know, as I scroll my Instagram feed or I walk through Times Square or as I'm on Hulu, whatever the case may be, you know, we are inundated with advertisements that are perpetually pointing us to the fact that I or we are lacking something. Right, you, are, you are lacking something. But if you just bought this right hair product, right, or if you just used our dating website, or if you just used and tasted the new flavor of Doritos, your life would be satisfied. Right? Ads are pressing on your feelings of emptiness. They're offering you some sort of redemption, but it's, it's, it's redemption of retail therapy or redemption by consumption. Right? Now, now contrast that and everything you see with what David is describing here in Psalm 23. Right? It's a perpetual state of fullness. And David says, I have everything that I need, no lack. Uh, why? Because God is his source of care and of guidance. The Lord is my shepherd. You know, David may very well be writing this as the king of Israel, right? He is the most powerful and strong and important person in the land. And yet, he envisions himself as a sheep under the care of God. Right? And, of course, David himself had been a shepherd as a boy, and so this is a very familiar uh, metaphor. And he would have known just how intimately a shepherd knows his sheep. Right? Shepherds would have lived among their sheep. Right? They would have cared for their flock. They would have protected them from uh, predators, provided for all their needs. And David is saying, God is my shepherd. He is the one who is making me lie down in green pastures, leading me beside the still waters. He is restoring my soul. And I think what David wants to do is to stir our hearts to envision what a life under the protection and guidance and care of this God could look like. Right? And this, I think, is why he starts this psalm uh, seeing God as a shepherd. Right? You know, if you look at other psalms, they say you know, God is a warrior or he is a fortress or he is a king. But the image of shepherd here is meant to convey to us intimate care from this God. This God, our God, is near he is involved in our lives. 
Right? David's presentation just pushes back on any sort of notion we might have that a relationship with God is just simply acknowledging a set of ideas or propositions. Right? This God, as you see, is the one who is taking us, taking you by the hand. He's taking you by the hand and he is leading you to this place of refreshment. Right? And did you notice that God is the main actor throughout this entire scene at the beginning, right? The Lord is the subject. He's the main actor. He makes, he leads, he restores, right? God is the subject. And so that makes you and me, that makes his people the direct object for our English majors out there. He is the subject. We are the direct object of his love and his restoration and his care. Now, let me just pause for a moment. Um, I imagine some of you are hearing this. Maybe you read the verses. Maybe you're hearing what I'm saying. Uh, and it's not landing with you, right? And, and, and I think that's, that's totally understandable, um, you know, because, again, as I said, you know, often our lives look and feel nothing like this, right? This, this, this bucolic landscape. You know, the, the, our lives are sort of like laughably dissonant from that, from what we see there, right? We are people constantly on the move between work or travel, or maybe you're chasing kids around. Maybe you're just anxious about your future, Right, all the things that we do, whatever it is, so it makes the scene that David is describing here, this peaceful scene, uh, you know, almost incomprehensible. And, 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 and so we can read it, we can look at it and think, well, you know, that, that must be nice. <laughs> you know, that, that, that'd be, that looks like a great place for other people to go, but who has time to get there? Why can't I get there? Right? We, we struggle to even imagine any sort of alternative, right? our can't stop and won't stop pace. Right, so much so that we may never even stop to ask the question, why doesn't my life look anything like this scene? And, and I'm sure there are so, you know, so many ways you could answer that question. Right? And, and, and let's just be honest, some of them are unavoidable. You have young kids running around, you're uh, you know, moving apartments. Uh, my goodness, uh, there, there is a time and a season for, for busyness and hecticness. Um, but often that just also becomes our new and perpetual normal. And I think at least as I've examined my own heart, um, a lot of that is just I am uneasy with stillness. And in some ways, not just that, I actually pride myself on being busy. I do a lot of stuff because it helps paper over feelings of insecurity, of insignificance, of unimportance. Right? We, can, we can be people who numb our restless hearts with busyness. Right? We, we, we sort of know on some effective level that our life isn't like the contentment David talks about in verses 1 through 3. Right? There's no peace and rest, but what David wants to say is that your life actually could look like this. Right? Because in a world that is looking at you and is shouting, hurry up and matter, do something significant, the invitation from David is to be still. Be still and know that I am your God. That I will guide you, I will lead you, and I will give you rest. At LSQ, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service each week. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastor and church leaders. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for worship on Sunday. 
You can find out more details on our website by visiting lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash worship. Now, let's get back to this week's episode. And notice just in the course of the passage, that is actually totally independent of his circumstances, right? This isn't circumstance-based. Like, if I get to this certain point, then I will be there, right? Because in verse 4, David, uh, or excuse me, God is still the good shepherd, but he is he's leading him in, through, in and through this valley, right? Through the valley of dark shadow, right? David says, you know what? I'm in that shadow, but I will fear no evil because you are with me, right? Now, what is David's comfort? It's not that he sees the light at the end of the tunnel, it is that God is with him. Right? God has left the serenity of the meadow, and now he's in this dark place. And yet he knows that God is there, and that is his comfort. Right? And not only that, he actually leans in closer to God in that moment. Right? Did, did you notice that, that God went from leading out front? Right? It, you know, he, he goes from the third person, uh, singular, he leads, he guides, to uh, you, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, right? God goes from out front of David to now in the hardest part of his life, walking side by side with him, right? At the point of danger, at that point of anxiety, and you don't know where to turn. David is saying God is even there with you in this dark place, right? And he's protecting you, right? David sees the shepherd's tools, the rod and the staff, and he knows this God is protecting me. This God is protecting us. And so if God is this good shepherd that David is saying here, then there's just one simple question, I think, for us. Will you follow him? Will you follow him or will you try to go your own way? Right? Will you follow this good shepherd as he leads you towards those right paths or those paths of righteousness, as verse 3 says? Right, will you think about and will you take God's moral direction, not as a burden on your life, but as a blessing, as, as God showing you graciously how to live in the world that he's created? Right, he knows you and he cares you. He knows how you best work. Right, will you take God's word in the Bible seriously? Will you heed his instruction, even if it's unpopular, even when it is... Um, you know, uncomfortable or countercultural. Will you go with God or will you go your own way? Right, what does it look like to follow God? Well, let me just give you one very small passage that, uh, or, or example. Um, and I think it's this, will you rest? Right, we, we, we at least my eye, can struggle to make this a priority. And yet, how can I expect to, to find this quiet place by the still water if I am always in perpetual motion? Right? Maybe, at least partially, that is why you feel distant from God. Perpetual motion, not coming to the stillness that he offers, right? God actually commands rest, but he does that with the promise that he is going to provide it for you in abundance, right? He doesn't command something he's not going to enable you to do, right? So you can place your confidence in him and in his care, right? The Christian has confidence in God's protection, God's desire, David's desires have continued to be met and continue to be fulfilled. And he's utterly content and he is inviting us to know God's shepherd-like care. Right? But, but, but David doesn't just see God as a shepherd, right? Because at the end of verse 4, what happens is it's sort of like the, uh, you know, the curtains close on, on the first scene. 
And then uh, when we come to verse 5, they, they've reopened, and the scene has now shifted. We've moved from out in the meadow or out in the dark valley, uh, and we've walked into this uh, ornate banquet hall, this, this feast, this beautiful set table. And what we see in that is that God is the generous host of this incredible party. And so how does this generous host, how does God as our generous host give us hope? Uh, well, if you were to peruse my family's uh, Netflix feed, um, one of the things you would notice is that there is a high percentage of uh, British period pieces. Um, uh, the, the Crown has been one recently. Um, uh, my wife, I'll blame that on her. But uh, what, one thing we enjoyed uh, and watched together uh, was Downton Abbey. Maybe some of you have, have seen Downton. Um, and if you've seen it, you may recall that you know, every night they kind of put on a very nice dinner. Right? The, 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 the Tuesday night dinner at Downton is nicer than any meal I've ever been to just is. Uh, but something else happens too. On, on special occasions, when there is an honored guest coming into town, coming to you know, the, the, the compound or the, the, the palace, whatever you call Downton, when there is an honored guest who is coming to Downton, uh, they go all out. Right? Miss Patmore is, is downstairs whipping up food and 20-course meal and and, uh, you know, Mr. Carson is, like, buzzing around, yelling at footmen, and they brought in extra footmen, and, and, and things are just, just going nuts. And, and people are there in their finest clothes, and they are eating incredible food. They are drinking uh, the best wine uh, that, you know, the U.K. had to offer at the time. Uh, this is a beautiful meal. <laughs> Not known for their wine. That's okay. Um, maybe scotch. I don't know. Um, but they're, they're having decadent desserts. And then after dinner, there's live music, and there's dancing, and just incredible merriment. And that is the scene that I envision or I think of when I think about what David is envisioning here. But who is the honored guest? It's you. Right? David is saying, look, you are the honored guest at this feast. David uh, is, is inviting us to see ourselves here. God is throwing this party for you. Right, you are the honored guest. He is anointing your head with oil. You are receiving the sign of blessing uh, and refreshment. Right, your cup is full. It's not just full. It is overflowing. Right, the best wine you've ever tasted is sloshing around out of the glass. Right, it is is like embarrassing, almost embarrassingly wasteful, wildly extravagant, and it doesn't even matter because there's so much there that you could never even come close to exhausting God's supply. Right, this is so much more than the bare essentials. Right? This party is so grand, it's, you know, like you're almost like embarrassed to be there. But it is a picture of God's abundant generosity towards us. And what this shows us is that you, know, you just haven't just survived the valley. You haven't just survived the grind and that threat. It has somehow actually been the road God has led you on to victory and to rejoicing. Right? And notice who is there in verse 5. Right? It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Right now, who are those enemies? Well, David doesn't say. He sort of leaves it uh, ambiguous. They, they very well may be external foes. Right? David faced a lot of, uh, was chased around a lot by people who wanted his life. Uh, they could be other antagonists. They could be false friends. Uh, or maybe they could have even be, you know, in, in some sense, internal struggles. Right? Loneliness or fear. Uh, anxiety. He leaves it ambiguous, but what is happening in this scene is those enemies are there, 
and they are watching you be treated like royalty. Right? They are there and they can't do anything to stop the generous host. The victory has been won and the celebration is on. Right? Those, those enemies may still jeer, they may still taunt you, but they cannot touch you. Right? This is a vision that David is giving us of eternal life with God. Yes, he is the good shepherd, but he is also the generous host who wants nothing more than to celebrate you and to celebrate with you. And the hope is that David is saying, look, this is where our lives with God are headed. He is inviting us to envision how God is repairing today's brokenness and moving us towards wholeness, moving us towards this, like this hopeful vision. And yet, we are also realists, and we know that, you know, we will not experience the fullness of this in this life, right? We are not home yet. We are not there yet. And so how is God going to sustain us in the meantime, right? What is he going to give us along the way as we move in this direction? Well, David closes with verse 6, right? He says, surely goodness and love shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right? And if you look at the Hebrew, right, that word for love there is uh, this word, hesed. Right? It's other places it's translated mercy or steadfast love or, 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 or ever kindness, uh, faithfulness. And, 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 the, and the scholars have said there's likely a play on words here because the, the word uh, lack in verse 1 is uh, haser. Right? So, so the idea is right, your haser, your lack, is replaced or filled up with God's hesed. Right? God's hesed replaces your haser. Your lack is filled up with God's steadfast love. Now, honest reflection, what have I done, what have we done to deserve this celebration? Nothing. <laughs> in fact, it is actually given to us in spite of our failures, in spite of our wanderings, in spite of our struggles. Because remember, David has basically called himself a sheep in God's care. You know, if you think about it, like being compared to a sheep is not very favorable. <laughs> no one really wants to be, you know, you don't want to be referred to as sheeple or, or, or a sheep. as someone who just follows blindly, right? They're, you know, sheep are kind of stinky and they're, you know, a little dumb. Uh, they're vulnerable. Right? And the prophet Isaiah, you know, he, in f- chapter 53 of his prophecy says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Right? In, in calling us, in calling himself and calling us sheep, Right? He says, we are people who are foolish enough to wander away from this God. We wander away from the good shepherd. We wander away from the generous host. Right? Or, or if we don't wander away, we at least avoid him. We avoid the, the feast he is offering. Right? And, and, and the Bible says, really, this is the heart of our sin, the heart of our wrongdoing, is that we place confidence in ourselves instead of confidence in God. Right? We live according to our own plans. Right? We say, my will be done, God, instead of your will, thy will be done. We walk away from the good and generous host. We like sheep, we go astray. We, we like ungrateful children do not recognize his generosity. And yet how does he repay our unfaithfulness? He meets you with grace. He meets you with forgiveness. But he invites you to return to him and find rest and delight. But how on earth is that possible? 
Well, if you know the story of the Bible, you know sort of the trajectory of where this heads, and you know and you remember that these words of David are going to find their fulfillment in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Right? If you go to the Gospel of John, you go to the 10th chapter, right? you see Jesus saying, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Right? You see, the story of Christianity is that when you and I were wandering away from Jesus, he pursued you. But he left the 99 to come find the one, to come find you. And he wants to bring you home. Right? Christ would pay the cost of your unfaithfulness on the cross, on his, at the cost of his own life. And then he offers, after the fact, to give you his spirit to comfort and to protect you along the way, along the walk of life. Right? And if you keep reading, in Revelation 19, you get to the end of the Bible, you see John, again, is, is depicting the joy and eternal life with God. And he shows us that it's an extravagant feast, right? the marriage supper of Jesus and his bride, right? the church, his beloved people, you and me. We are there, this beautiful, lavish wedding reception to end all wedding receptions. Right? That is the confident hope of the Christian faith is that Jesus' death and resurrection has bought and secured your ticket to the Father's eternal banquet table. Right? Jesus' resurrection from the grave was the first fruits of that coming day when we will feast and weep no more, when every tear will be wiped away and all things made right and made new again. No more struggle, no more grind. It's why we can sing this song. We can take it up confidently and sing along with David, yes, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Friends, if Jesus is your shepherd, if he is your good and generous host, then you can sing this song confidently. The Lord will deal tenderly with you. He will vindicate you. You can know that you are the object of the Good Shepherd's love, that you will be the honored guest of this most generous host. And so as you step into this fall, as we endure the grind together, would we be people who look to Jesus, look to him and allow him to guide us, allow him to guide you to the still waters of his grace so that you might find the abundant blessings of his rich and eternal love. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, you are our good shepherd, and you are the most generous host. Lord, we, we, we read uh, this familiar passage in Psalm 23, and, and often just don't feel like it could be real. How on earth could this be true? Lord, our lives look nothing, they feel nothing like this. And yet I pray, Lord, that as we um, just immerse ourselves in this truth, as we own this song, um, that you would use it to grow our confidence in you. God, that you would um, just enable us to feel your presence by your spirit. Um, that as we go out of here and walk into this fall, um, that we would ever, you would ever keep this uh, at the front of our minds and at the top of our hearts, Lord. Um, God, would you just continue to, uh, we who are prone to wander, would you keep us near uh, to the cross, keep us near to you. Um, use uh, your people to draw us closer to your son Jesus. Lord, um, we pray all this in his powerful name. Amen. 
Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.